Who is the most underrated actor of all time? It's Dolph Lundgren. Correct. Why? Well, because of his uh, spiky hair, yep. his ice-cold demeanor, and his big muscles. Absolutely. I must break you. Welcome to I Must Break This Podcast. This is the fan podcast celebrating the cinematic career of action legend Dolph Lundgren. Hello and welcome back to I Must Break This Podcast, the fan podcast celebrating the cinematic career of action legend Dolph Lundgren. Today we're going back to 2006 and taking a look at the religious drama, The Final Inquiry. In this odd biblical adventure, Dolph takes on a supporting role as Brixus, a warrior who becomes a servant to a Roman tribune tasked with uncovering the mystery behind the sudden resurrection of Jesus Christ. I have decided to entrust you with a mission that calls for all your talent. What is my destination? Jerusalem. He was a trusted soldier. I'm Titus Valerius Taurus. An imperial envoy sent on a journey to uncover the truth. What is the purpose of your mission? I'm looking for a body that has disappeared. Certain Jesus? But through a woman. I only believe what my eyes can see and what my reason can explain. His disciples, they're faithful to him even after his death. He would discover a mystery more powerful than he ever imagined. Jesus has resurrected. He's alive. Now, experience a film about the search for a secret that could bring down an empire. It's the beginning of another world, another kingdom. Daniel Riotti, Monica Cruz, Academy Award winner F. Murray Abraham, and Academy Award nominee Max von Sydow. I have discovered the teachings of Jesus really do change the hearts of men. I'm your host, Sean Malloy, and joining me to chat this one today is Matt Poyer of the Direct-to-Video Connoisseur blog and podcast. Matt, thank you so much for coming on, man. Thank you. Thank you as well for having me. It's definitely, I've enjoyed listening to your pod for a while, and it was great when you were on mine, and I'm happy to be on again. It's really cool. Well, yeah, it's it's really kind of cool because I mean, let's face it, okay? I've you know I host the uh, the Dolph Lundgren podcast that looks at uh, uh, many direct-to-video films, and you also host the the direct-to-video connoisseur. I love that title, by the way. Um, the direct-to-video <laughs> connoisseur uh, blog and podcast, and you also dabble in uh, discussing and talking about quite a few of these uh, direct-to-video action movies, and I figured it was only fitting that we finally join forces to discuss a biblical movie. So there you go. Yeah, yeah, for sure. We, we consider Dolph to be the, um, the babe root of direct-to-video movies. Um, he, he's the only person on, on the 50 Club on our site, meaning he's the only one who has over 50 movies reviewed. Um, and, of course, we still got a good ways to go for him. He, you know, he's probably going to get past 60. But, uh, but yeah, so he's... He's featured quite prominently. I think somebody did the math out that he's um he's he's accounted for about five percent of the movies we've reviewed out of, out of the thousand that we've done so far, so or, you know, thousand plus. 
Well, and actually, before we talk about your your blog and podcast, because I have a bunch of questions about that, I do. I, I, I'm really. I, I was really looking forward to this discussion because I'll just be honest with you right now, Matt. Um, this is one film that, uh, as as hard to believe as this may sound, coming from the guy who does the the Dolph podcast, this is one movie that I never saw. It was one that just never looked that interesting to me. I knew that Dolph was a supporting character. So that right there made it something that I just never was going to seek out. These biblical type movies are really not my thing either. Uh, I think these are kind of geared and made toward a very uh, specific and niche market. But, you know, doing the podcast, I figured, okay, you know, look, I'm, I'm looking at all. I'm looking at them all, right? I'm looking at the highs and the lows, the good, the bad, the ugly. And I remember when you and I got in uh, in, in contact and touch, uh, I, I kind of gave you a crop of films that uh, that he had coming up, and you actually you actually handpicked this one, and you said, "Look, I think this one will be uh, the, the most interesting to discuss." So I guess before we fully get rolling, I have to ask Matt because a lot of people are going to be wondering uh, why discuss this movie. Why did you pick this one? Well, I think I think it's it's the ultimate. Dolph completist movie like it's hard to recommend this to anybody who's not a Dolph completist Um, and I think too like when when you were talking about you know what movies you had available you know this is not one that you're probably going to find a lot of people that would want to talk about it Um, and I think it's it it, is no exactly (laughs) and I mean I will say for me I have um, just in that that vein of being a completist um, I've seen a couple that uh, I think Gary Daniels has done some some of the religious ones and um, Eric Robertson it is one of those things where, like, when you're really digging deep into that direct-to-video, um, that, that direct-to-video genre, uh, this subset of direct-to-video, and this, of course, is a little bit unique because it was like a, 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 a you know, Italian production um, made for TV there. It's a little different, but, yeah, it, you're, you're kind of delving into territory where you, you really need to be that kind of completist to, 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 to want to do it, I think. Right. I mean, you look, it's, if you're a fan... It's the good, the bad, the ugly, and if you're if you're loyal, and if you're, I kind of look at it as if you're if you're a fan of a sports team that just you know it has those terrible seasons. Well, you're not going to give up on them, right? And I don't want I don't want to put Delph in that category of you know he he does terrible movies because there are quite a few uh, diamonds in the rough, especially of the direct to video era. But this is one particular film, man. I remember when I heard that it was in production. I just was kind of like, okay, you know, I didn't really uh, have a desire to seek it out. Then when it was finally released, I still, it was one of those things, man, that I, uh, I never, I never sought out. And then, uh, you know, when I started doing the show, I was shamelessly just going to kind of blow forward through it and not even cover it. And then I thought, well, you know, I did Johnny Mnemonic and then Johnny Mnemonic, he basically has a, you could say it's essentially a cameo role. I, I think in Johnny Mnemonic, he's on screen about as much as he is in this one. Some could argue, I think, in Final Inquiry, he's actually on screen a little bit more. So it was like, well, look, if I did Johnny Mnemonic, then I got to do this film as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we think of him the completest. I mean, that's like, you know, me um, watching Hail Caesar on Netflix and trying to figure out when Dolph shows up in that movie and realizing that it's. He's not really even on screen when Channing Tatum is like jumping onto the sub and that's supposed to be Dolph playing that part there and you can't even see him. And, and so, yeah, there is that part where it's like, you know, you, you wanted to see Dolph and whatever he's in, um, you know, like this HBO uh, 45 minute short movies that um, uh, uh, Andy Samberg did, I think, uh, like the tour to, tour to pharmacy, uh, those kinds of things. It's like you just kind of want to see Dolph in, it, in whatever you can see him in. And so 
that, 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 you know, that includes something like this, just to see what it is, you know, see, see what it was like with him in it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, and actually, before we fully get into the film, um, I, ha I have to admit, you know, I, I feel kind of bad. I mean, because I love your podcast. I love your blog. And I'm, I'm a little I'm a little kind of uh, disappointed that it took us this long to finally join forces for a uh, for, for a couple episodes. But, you know, here we are. And, uh, you know, I, I couldn't be more excited that uh, that you're finally on. Um, go ahead and tell us a little bit about your blog and podcast. If I understand correctly, the blog started first and then you did the podcast. Is that right? Yeah. So the, the pot. So the blog started in like May of 07. And the, the whole idea behind direct to video connoisseurs, I wanted to evoke this image of like an Alistair Cook type person, you know, with the smoking jacket and the ascot. Um, but instead of watching like, a, I don't know, like an eight part, you know, BBC miniseries on Nicholas Nickleby or something like that. We're instead watching Dolph Lundgren movies, you know, and, and PM Entertainment action flicks and things like that. And of course, what I learned soon into it is that connoisseur is not an easy thing to spell. So telling people about the site, it was uh, it was not easy to tell them how to find it. But but that's kind of the, always been the image. Um, I would say I think it was in 2014. Um, I was a guest on um, the Drunk on VHS po uh, podcast with Mo Porn, and then uh, John Cross was also of the After Movie Diner was a guest as well. And they were doing their own podcast night that they were creating. And they said, "Hey, you know, we had fun with you on. Why don't you, you know, do a show with us?" And so I started the podcast then, and um, it's just kind of been floating along ever since. I mean, the, the blog is probably the, the the main thing, but the podcast is cool because, like, it, you know, I can meet with people like yourself, and you know, we can come on and kind of get into a film in a little bit more deeper way than you can like an eight paragraph blog post. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, and I, I looked at your uh, your blog quite a few times actually. Anytime you review a new movie, I always have to go on and look at it, and I feel like you know it's awesome because Thank I you. feel like um, you and I are you know action movie blood brothers, I guess in a sense because we are both. I think taking such time, I mean, really, I mean, looking at, uh, cause I've listened to quite a few of your, of your episodes of the show. And then of course read your blog. And I think it's, it's, it's really amazing. And it's really cool to see someone else who is just picking apart a film like, for example, acceleration. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you know, t taking this film acceleration and then just picking it apart with a fine comb you know, and going through it. And I think the, the general public, I mean, let's be honest, Matt, I, I, I would argue that I don't even think the, the general mainstream public would even see a film like acceleration. And I think the ones that, that would, would probably have it on maybe as background noise or wh whatever it may be, but it's awesome to meet someone else who is willing to take a look at one of these films and really dive into it and figure out, okay, what was, uh, what was uh, not just Dolph Lundgren, but okay. Gary Daniels, for example, what was going on in his uh, in his career, and what was his headspace when he took on a film like uh, Recoil, for example, or whatever it may be, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I gotta say, you know, one thing I love about your podcast that's really great is that, like, you know, I might do a movie like Acceleration, and I'm kind of just doing it from the standpoint of somebody who just watches it, you know, and like what I'd like to see or things like that. And so I might say, like, okay, you know, Natalie Byrne deserves more you know, shine in this because she was really the, the, the lead in the film, even though we see Dolph on the cover and he's the one that, you know, people are going to come to the site to read. But what I love about your podcast is you'll get an interview with someone like a Natalie Byrne. And so we kind of get that behind the scenes of what it was like. Um, it's almost like I kind of speculate on what it was, what it might have been like. But then, yeah, when you, when you get a chance to talk to them, it, sometimes it's like, okay, that's exactly what I thought. And other times it's like, whoa, no, actually, I, I, I had that wrong or I, you know, wasn't exactly the way I thought it was going to be. 
Yeah, you know, thank you so much uh, for for saying that. Yeah, because you know, and that's the other thing too that when I when I go in and when I've done a lot of these interviews, I mean, every one of the uh, the people who I've been uh, fortunate to to speak with, you know, they they really let you know like how much it is. I mean, a lot of these movies, and let's be perfectly honest, a lot of these movies are not great. You know what I mean? Um, a lot of them are shot very quickly over the course of a few uh, weeks, if that even. Um, with some of them, Dolph, I think, is on set for only five, six days, whatever it may be. But I think in the end, there's still a lot of work that goes into these films, not just from the actors, but from the uh, uh, the post-production people and um, the editors and everything like that. And so while it is, let's be perfectly honest, while it is fun and easy to to shit on one of these movies i think i i think you know it also uh big getting to speak with a lot of these individuals you also kind of gain an appreciation for it um that you would not have otherwise i mean you know for example um uh early in the show i got to speak with uh christopher kulikowski who uh wrote and directed the film retrograde which i'm sure you've seen retrograde right yes oh yeah yeah yeah. And so what, what's amazing about Retrograde is Retrograde is not a great movie. I mean, I think a lot of people would kind of put that at the bottom of the barrel of, of both uh, Dolph Lundgren and Gary Daniels, his entire filmography. But, you know, when you get to speak with the director and you kind of you, get, you listen to him and hear kind of what he was up against in making that particular film. And then you watch the film. It's kind of like it almost feels like a lost film in a way. You know what I mean? Like this could have been so much better if more resources and more time was thrown at it. And so, yeah, like you said, I, I think it's fortunate and it's, uh, it's been really cool to get to speak to these, uh, to a lot of these individuals behind the scenes because, you know, you just get such a greater appreciation. And um, when I remember when I reviewed uh, Retrograde, I was expecting to, you know, rag on it and everything. And I really turned around on it in a lot of ways because getting to speak with the director, it was like, you know what? This film, there, there's something there with this film, and it's, it's sad that it was not able to be what they wanted it to be. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I was trying to think. Um, I, 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 I think I, the name escapes me. Um, oh, it was Benjamin Sachs that you did the, the interview with recently. And it was, it, it, it was amazing, you know, the way he described the process where it's like, okay, here's the movie we want to make. And then they say to him, okay, what do you think is the budget for it? And he gives them a number, and they say, well, can you do it for $2 million less or whatever that, that, that is? And, and then you start to really see, like, okay, now this is where they have to start to cut those corners or try to make it. And, and so, yeah, you, you, you get a sense of, like, okay, you know, we live in this sort of DTV world where we, we love watching these movies. We have to kind of be realistic. That, and I think um, this is, uh, Mitch Lovell, who does uh, the video vacuum, he always talks about how he, he grades DTV movies on a curve. And I've been trying to work on, on that mindset myself and be like, okay, you know what? I want them to do this in a movie. They probably wanted to do this in the movie too, and they just didn't have the budget for it. Right, right. Well, I mean, and, you know, for example, uh, <laughs> Bruce Willis has now kind of entered the world of uh, of DTV. We can say, you know what I mean. And um, you know what's funny is uh, just last week, actually, the trailer for Bruce Willis's latest movie hit. Um, what is it? Hard Kill. I don't know if you saw the trailer for it or not, but it's, it's, I think I saw that. Yeah. I think I saw it yeah, advertised. Yeah. I mean, and it's, it's another example of where Bruce Willis was on set for maybe four days. It looks like they shot it in one location. If that even, I mean, so you watch the trailer for it and yeah, it looks really cheap, but there's still hundreds of people working on this film behind the scenes that don't get the credit. 
that that I think they deserve, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, I totally agree with that. And I, I think it's one thing I think that was great, like, you know, with, with Acceleration, for example, it's like, I, I, I kind of got the sense in that movie, too, and I think Altitude's another one, maybe, where Dolph kind of, you know, sees it as like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm working with Natalie Byrne. She really is the star of this. She's the one who's going to make this go. And I think he, he, I never got the sense that he wanted to be like, no, no, I need to be on the cover and I need to be the big star of this. Like, I think he, he wanted to see her sort of be the, the star, which I thought was really great. And I think that's great. You know, you know, like when you were able to interview her and, you know, my, my, uh, review, I tried to kind of, you know, push her a little bit more in there. But then, but, you know, when you hear from someone like Benjamin Jackson says like, well, you know, a name like Dolph Lundgren means the, the movie is going to be considered worth a certain number, meaning that the budget's also going to be a certain number that you can get. But if you get a name like Dolph Lundgren and then you realize like, okay, yes, Natalie Burns, the one that we were excited to see, like what she has coming next, because she seems like a rising star. But if they don't have that Dolph Lundgren name on there. And, and, and you know, who knows if we would have seen it, you know, it, it, you know, if it would have been on our radar without that name on there. So you kind of get it. Like, okay, there's a reason why Dolph's name is first, even if he's not in the movie as much, or he's sort of spending most of the film, you know, behind, you know, watching a, a monitor or something like that. You, you get a sense of why they do it the way they do it. And it's like, okay, it, it feels kind of like a bait and switch perhaps, but really there's a, there's a, a process to it that this is just part of the industry that if we're going to watch DTV movies, we should probably accept. Yeah, yeah, I, excellent. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you. Well, this film that we're talking about today is, uh, man, this one is an anomaly. This one is, <laughs> this one is, is a bizarre oddity that is in, uh, that, well, let's face it, that's in Lundgren's filmography. I think that is in, uh, Max von Sydow's filmography, uh, maybe even F. Murray Abraham's. I mean, this is, this is a bizarre one. This is the final inquiry couple things about it actually um as we before we really dive into it um you kind of already said it it's an italian production which is very clear in quite a few aspects but uh new image who dolph has worked with numerous times before um who's actually still around to this day new image millennium um they helped uh distribute this in the u.s which is uh which was you know kind of kind of cool kind of interesting to see um also it was made for uh i did the conversion actually on this one matt um but it was made for approximately nine million u.s dollars now nine million i mean when you compare that to some of the huge big blockbusters that you see coming out that doesn't seem like a lot however if you look at the direct-to-video market nowadays nine million I mean, trumps anything that we see coming out of the direct-to-video market nowadays. Nowadays, these uh, direct-to-video films are made for a couple million or less, and a lot of that kind of just goes to the star's salaries. So seeing a film that was made for $9 million back then, I mean, they had some, uh, they had some money with this, and they, they uh, really put it on screen. And, and I will say, you know, there are a couple things about this. I mean, the film does have a, a few things that we can say – uh, that, that we can give it to merit for, I guess. But one of those is the fact that, I mean, let's face it as well, this is filmed on film. I mean, this has a, a film cinematic look to it that, again, if you want to compare this with the direct-to-video stuff today, a lot of the direct-to-video stuff is filmed uh, using digital, which just kind of gives these productions uh, an overall cheap feel. So I, I would I would give it the, the, the fact that, yeah, this had a pretty decent sized budget to it and it looks okay considering yeah i i agree with that i think that it, you know if we think of a movie like this made on a dtv scale 
it's hard to imagine how they would have been able to pull. I mean, you know, the, I think they, it was shot pretty much in, a, in only, you know, a, 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 a small amount of locations in Tunisia and then also in Bulgaria. But it, it looked nice in that sense. It, the, the sets looked nice. I, I, yeah, in that sense, you, you, you almost compare some of the Roman sets almost had the feel of like a Hercules set or something like that, like a, one of those, you know, uh, syndicated TV shows yeah. from the 90s, which again, sounds crass, but that's, you know, from a budget standpoint, you know, the, the Hercules show had, had a good solid budget. It was, it was, you know, made a lot of money in syndication. And, and that's kind of what it reminded me of that, that, that level of, uh, you know, like you said, something more than what we're used to seeing in DTP. You know, that's exactly right. This did kind of have the feel of being like uh, on the level of Xena warrior princess or the kevin sorbo hercules right yeah yeah it's the, the way the sets you know especially the roman yeah. sets you know it, it i mean obviously that was greek um you know it was supposed to be greek but sort of the, the big the bigness of them um but yet on a certain scale like they they, they make the big um there's something about the big right that you when you see it, like you're like wow this is really big in here but you can kind of also see that it's big on a budget yeah well i mean and uh we should also say that this uh this particular film um, it was filmed in. It was filmed around the later part of 2005 into 2006. Um, at least here in the states, it was not released until 2008. It sat for a little while before finally being released to DVD in uh, yeah, it was February of 2008 by 20th Century Fox, which was kind of interesting. Uh, 20th Century Fox they had a short-lived uh, Christian label that uh, they were kind of experimenting with, and this was one of the films that they used to kind of. Uh, to, to kind of sell that particular label. Uh, I will say this, this kind of brought me back a bit, Matt. I don't know about you, but I will say I do kind of miss the days of those genre labels, especially from Fox. I don't know if you remember these days, but 20th Century Fox, they had quite a few. They had um, one label was uh, Fox Atomic, which specialized in horror. Um, Warner yeah. Brothers, they even had their own little kind of offshoot label. It was called Warner Independent which, you know, obviously specialized in their more independent stuff. But what's wild is it seems like all of these little offshoot uh, genre labels, they all eventually just crash and burned over the course of just a couple titles. It seems like today the only one that's still running successfully is uh, Screen Gems over at Sony. Have you noticed this? Yes. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, because it, it does. It feels like the um, as, as the studio system kind of became more consolidated, it seemed like they were just, you know, removing these pieces. It, it, it's almost like as, as the system kind of became, you know, less and less diverse, you know, that's like, okay, what's the next big budget thing that we can put out there? We're going to put all our, our effort into this, you know, picture that we think is going to make us one or $2 billion worldwide. And then, yeah, the rest of it kind of just got pushed to the side, which is, is interesting because I think that, you know, the, the big studios, they kind of, got into the DTV game and kind of pushed out, you know, companies like TM Entertainment when they came in with their bigger budgets. And they finally decided, you know what, we don't want to put those kind of budgets into these movies and uh, we're going to do them on the cheap and, and, and just get them out there. Uh, and yeah, it's interesting how they kind of, it's almost like they cannibalize themselves, right? Like they just kind of, as they were buying each other out, they were dumping and it was like the, these indie you know, offshoots that, that were the, the victims of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I will say to the marketing's credit, I mean, look, I, I gotta, I gotta hand out some uh, compliments here to the marketing's credit. This was never marketed as a Dolph Lundgren film. 
which is which was a wise move on on their behalf. Um, he was actually, if you look at a lot of the trailers that uh, when this was coming out on DVD, he was pretty much absent from the uh, from all the trailers. He does get uh, his his face is shown on the on the cover uh, for the for the DVD, but that was really it because. I mean, look, this is not a Dolph Lundgren film. He is playing a supporting character, and I am still just amazed that he even took on this role. I have a few theories, though, about it that I was going to throw at you. But yeah, this wasn't marketed as a Dolph Lundgren film. And so because of that, I mean, I was going to ask you your your first time seeing it, but I already kind of said it. This is the only film in Dolph's filmography that I had never seen prior because like I said, this was just not my type of movie. It was something that I almost knew that I wasn't going to enjoy. <laughs> Dolph wasn't going to be center stage. He was just a supporting character. So this was a film that I just, I didn't have any interest in. And I remember, it's funny because I remember catching a few production stills of it, showing the look that Dolph was sporting. And I was just like, yeah, nope, not going to do it. I'm just, this is not... Yeah, I you know it's a good question. I'm trying to think when I I mean I saw it pretty soon after it came out. Um, so one of the big things for me, one of the big selling points for me when it came to this movie, is um I'm a, a fan of of uh, Igmar Bergman's films, and so the fact that it was Dolph and Max von Sydow was actually a big selling point for me. So I had to do it. Um, so I actually reviewed this for the for the site on uh, April 16th of 08. So probably not long after it came out in, in the United States, you know, based on the, the delay there. Um, it's definitely from the Dolph films. I think it's like one of the worst um, in terms of like views. Uh, it might actually be the worst. It might be the one that had the lowest um, on the site. But yeah, I was intrigued by that. I was like, oh, you know, two, you know, Dolph Lundgren, of course, you know, big Swedish actor. And then Max von Sydow, we know, you know, is just, you know, this, this great Swedish pedigree. So I really want to see them. Of course, they never have a scene together. So it's like, you know, they're like the, Al Pacino and, and Robert De Niro and Godfather too, right? We never get to see them on scene together. Um, and I, you know, when I watched it, I was like, yeah, this, you know, this was a completist movie. That was really what I was doing with that. But um, there was some, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, we'll probably get into some of the, the parts of it that were off. But, uh, but yeah, it was kind of one of those things where I think I was just gobbling up as much Dolph as I could at that time. And then, you know, 07, 08. So when this was there, it was like, okay, let's do it. Well, finally, I was able to catch it uh, thanks to Hoopla. So thank you, Hoopla, for uh, for helping me out and and finally catching this particular film. And yeah, you know, it, it's funny because I cannot have some ideas as to why Dolph might have taken on this role. I think, you know, for him, I mean, let's be honest, legends. I mean, Max von Sydow, he is a legend. F. Murray Abraham, I mean, come on. he He's, he's an amazing yeah. uh, presence as well. So I kind of wonder if the opportunity to work with these legends uh, such as, you know, Max Macedo, F. Murray Abraham, if that was really enticing to a guy like Dolph. But it's it's just wild. He never gets a scene with these legends. I mean, every time he's on screen, it's wild because I keep expecting him to usurp the lead and become the focus. But he's not. I mean, Dolph is just not only is, a, is he a supporting character, but he is playing a servant to the lead in the film, uh, who's a, a Italian actor by the name of, uh, Daniel Leoti. So it's just, it's, it's, I, I'm going to be coming back to this. And so I, I, I apologize. I'm going to try not to keep repeating myself, but it's weird seeing Dolph in this movie. It's just so odd. I mean, he stands out so much. It's kind of like, 
Dolph, you know, we want you to be doing more. And he's he's just not, sadly. Yeah, that's one of the things. And I think I, I had mentioned, because I was, you know, obviously, it's, it's, it's so now realizing now it's been over 10 years. But I don't think I've seen the movie since I did it for the, the site in 08. So um, I was talking to uh, uh, Ty from Trumpets uh, Reviews about, you know, having seen this. And, and the thing that struck me the most about it is that Dolph is just such a presence that he doesn't really work in that stuff. I mean, you know, I think Expendables, he was technically a supporting character in that, obviously, but he really steals that first Expendables movie. Um, and then his, his, his role is diminished in the second one, and I think Jean-Claude Van Damme really stole the second one because that was, I think he wanted to make up for not being in the first one. But I, I, I think it's the only other time I can think of Dolph being in a supporting role like that where it's, I don't know, it, it, this movie, it, it, you're right, it just, he doesn't, he, his presence doesn't really equate to supporting role and i i don't know who you get for a role like this but yeah someone like a ralph muller uh matthias hughes they seem to do better in that that supporting role part like they're i don't we're, we're just more used to seeing them like that and i think a, a person like that would have been a better fit whereas like Dolph is like yeah you're right like we're just waiting for him to just we're, we're hoping this roman guy pass you know gets gets killed his character gets killed off and Dolph is the guy who takes over as the hero you know it's so funny that you said ralph moeller because, okay, so here's my theory about this one, Matt. I don't know if you've heard this or not, if you'd agree with this, but the film Gladiator, okay, that came out in 2000, Russell Crowe, Ridley Scott, um, and Dolph has gone on the record admitting this. Supposedly, Dolph was offered a role in, uh, in the 2000 film Gladiator. Now, this is before uh, Ridley Scott and Russell Crowe were officially attached. So at that point, Dolph turned it down. And... Look, we all know how Gladiator turned out. I mean, it, it, it swept the Academy Awards. It's, it's a classic. It's a masterpiece. And so you hear this and you can't help but wonder if, I mean, this is my theory. I don't know if you'd agree with this or not, Matt, but I hear this and I can't help but wonder if Dolph signed on for this project. Okay, because he's thinking around this time, 2006. And we should also say, look, it's not like Dolph was struggling in terms of roles. I mean, around this time, he was he had already started directing his films and he was kind of on a bit of a comeback of sorts because he had done the defender and he around this time was also uh prepping and uh doing the the russian specialist which i think is one of his best films so it, it's not like he was you know struggling for work or anything so i kind of wonder if he looked at uh, his decision in turning down that role uh, in uh, in gladiator and then suddenly this project comes across his desk Okay, it is a period piece. It also has a potentially epic feel and scope to it. And I kind of wonder if Dolph looked at this film as giving him the opportunity that he missed out on with Gladiator. Because if you watch Gladiator, yeah, Ralph Moeller shows up in Gladiator. And I can't help but wonder the entire time I was watching this, Matt, I kept thinking to myself, the role of Brixis <laughs> should be played by Ralph Moeller. And going back to Gladiator, I wonder if the role that Ralph Moeller played, if that was the role intended for Dolph. If only those these two muscular guys could have swapped roles for the, for that time, that would have been amazing. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think it makes perfect sense when you think about the Expendables, where it's like, if, if you if you almost think about it, like if you miss that chance with Gladiator, it, you know, you think about what that could have done for his career just because of how big that movie was. I mean, I think it did a lot for Joaquin Phoenix at that time, who was still kind of, I mean, he was, he was big, but I think that, that kind of helped him. And I, I think, yeah, for Dolph, it would have elevated the, the roles that he could have gotten. And I could definitely see him being like an O, like, 
I, I almost get the sense that that was how he treated the Expendables when he was in that movie, too. Is he's like, this is my chance. This is my chance to get back in here on the big screen. And, and he, he, he does hit it out of the park there. And I think that's what led to this, you know, the, the, in the 2010s with him doing more big screen films like Creed 2 and, um, and, and um, Aquaman. And I, I could definitely see him looking at it being like, this is another chance for me to do something here, to be with, with these actors, with Max Wancito. I mean, you could also make the point that maybe he, he almost never gets a chance to speak Swedish on set with anybody. So maybe he wanted to have that opportunity to speak Swedish with, with Max Wancito. Which he never got to share a scene with Max Moncito. Do you right. imagine that? Yeah. I mean, yes. it, it's wild because I can see, I mean, if you look at Lundgren around this particular period, I can see why at the time he may have turned down Gladiator. Because, I mean, Dolph had been far removed from playing these, you know, monosyllabic brutes like Ivan Drago, if you will. Right. You know what I mean? And so I think at that time, playing just a, you know, a, a, a Roman Gladiator may have not been too enticing at that stage in his career. But obviously the film went on to become a success. So that's the only reason why I can see Dolph uh, taking on this particular role. But it's, it's such a shame. It is such a shame here, Matt, because Dolph is, he's literally, he has given nothing here with this character other than playing this barbarian bodyguard who repeats the same line over and over in the film, Yes, Master. I mean, literally, that, that's pretty much Dolph's purpose in this film, is he just uh, follows the, the Daniel uh, Leoti character around. Who's this Roman Tribune? We haven't talked about that yet. But I mean, that, that's pretty much the, the crux and the extent of, uh, of Dolph's character. And, you know, it's funny, as I was talking about this with a buddy today as well, and he felt the same way. You know, he had said something similar where he thought, you know, if anything, you think that maybe they would have given Dolph's character an arc where... At the beginning of the film, he is just this absolute killing machine monster who he suddenly, you know, reads about the teachings of Jesus and the words of Jesus. And he decides to change his ways and become a little more peaceful. That would have been kind of cool. But no, they don't even give him that. He's just literally in this film saying, yes, master. I mean, <laughs> they don't they give him nothing. Well, so supposedly, according to IMDb, there's a bigger version of this movie. Apparently, there's a um, like a two-part version that um, is, is supposed to be a lot longer. Um, I, I heard some one. I, I don't know if it was a typo because one of them said it was like they were to like 195 minute part, or maybe the whole thing together was 195 minutes um, with the you know the, the two parts together. But I still can't really see like even if they did, you know, they they fleshed out the movie more what they were going to do for Dolph's character. It, it feels like it just would have been more of a one note for him. Um, but I don't know. Maybe that was, maybe that's one thing. I don't know if I could watch uh, 195 minutes of, of this movie. I don't know. <laughs> I think the, 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 the close to two hour version that, that we were watching, I think was enough for me, but you know, oh that's it, yeah. 112 I minutes. Yes. I was yeah. dying. Like, yeah. Because I mean, and I, and I'll just say it right now. I, I sometimes kind of wonder when I was looking at this, I was like, you know, this isn't my type of movie. I don't even know if I'm really the best person to be reviewing this film. And then I was also kind of thinking to myself, you know, I kind of wonder if religious biblical movies are tough sells in general, but no, I mean, maybe to mainstream audiences, but there is a huge Christian film market out there. I mean, and you can look at the passion of the Christ which I, I never saw, but I mean, man, that was a huge hit. So obviously these films are made for a niche market. There is a market out there for them, but I don't think 
the fans of the action market are going to be crossing paths with this with this with this market that this film was geared towards. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. And I, I think that's almost like what they were trying to do. I, it, it's interesting because this is an Italian film, and it, it, I, I, it, it's hard to, you know, I think it, it definitely has more of like the Catholic uh, Christian feel to it than a lot of the ones we have in the United States that have more of a, of a you know, Protestant, you know, evangelical kind of feel to them. And, you know, a lot of times with those ones, they, they do sort of try to package the um the message in like either some kind of action or some kind of comedy so it's almost like you you don't realize what you're watching until you, you you've gotten to a certain point whereas this one never really had, there was no you know th this never really had that like it wasn't trying to hide anything but it is interesting that it was still like you said it still had that that action element to it that um it, it almost made the film seem of split mind like it, it wasn't sure what it wanted to be yeah, no, I mean, I, I would agree. And that's an excellent segue right there as well, because, I mean, if you look at the dialogue in this film, the dialogue, Matt, is embarrassing. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I don't know if you felt that same way as well. And I kind of wonder if maybe the fact that it's an Italian production and being made by Italians, maybe that might be a uh, an issue. Maybe there's like a bit of a language barrier because maybe they may, may not have had the strongest grasp on the English language. Because the the dialogue here is so wooden, it's overly dramatic. At times, it almost feels like a high school production, or better yet, maybe a production put on by a church. I don't know. But did you pick up on that at all? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, it almost felt like they were trying to go for like these big, like Charlton Heston epics kind of thing, you know, with the way that they were trying to use the language and everything. But it, it, you know, this wasn't an epic. This wasn't a big, you know, this wasn't a, you know, 1950s uh, biblical epic. Uh, it wasn't directed by Cecil B., you know, Cecil DeMille or anything like that. It was, you know, this was something different. And, but I, I did notice, I mean, I think one of the things that, that, that made me wonder, you know, like I, I had forgotten about when I watched the first time is that when they're doing the opening credits, um, I think they, at one point, instead of using, um, they use a degree mark instead of, I think it's a, 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 like an ST. I think it's like, instead of saying, First, I think it's like one with a degree mark, which I think is, is more common in, in, in Italy or, or, you know, um, I'm, I'm not sure exactly. There was, a, there was something like that where it was like a tip off that like, oh, this may have been, you know, translated or something like that. But they don't really, it's not really like that. It's not like kind of like the Tower of Babel kind of approach to, you know, like the, like the old spaghetti westerns, you know, where they, everybody would just speak their own language and then it would just get dubbed over into whatever language they wanted it to be at the end. That's not really what this is. I mean, everybody's speaking English in this. Uh, but you're right. It, it does feel like yeah. it went through some kind of a filter where they were trying to make the language work. Which, I mean, you had F. Murray Abraham on there at least. You know, he's at least someone who could have maybe said, this isn't exactly how this should be, be said or something like that. Well, and maybe, I mean, look, maybe this is how they spoke in ancient times. I mean, we don't know. But <laughs> I, I wrote down some of the lines of dialogue, mainly from Dolph. I mean, let's okay. be honest, yeah. from, uh, from Dolph. So when we first yeah. meet uh, Dolph's character, pretty much, we should probably establish Brixus becomes the servant to Titus Valerius Taurus. We're going to hear that name spoken multiple times in this film. I don't know if you uh, picked up on that or not, <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> but, but Brixus becomes the servant to uh, Titus because <laughs> Titus and the Roman soldiers, uh, Titus is leading all these Roman soldiers under his command and they get into a forest battle with uh, Brixus is a member of these like barbarian warriors, this tribe. And, um, Titus kills the king in front of Brixus, no less. 
which is, you know, we're supposed to be a very dramatic scene here, right? Um, and then orders Brixis to be his servant. And so Brixis is immediately assisting Titus in uh, spouting battle lines, like we discussed. He keeps saying, yes, master, throughout the film. But as he is, as Brixis is uh, begrudgingly uh, deciding to become uh, Titus's servant, he says a couple lines. He says, and you'll never have my loyalty unless I decide to give it to you. And then, maybe less than a minute later, he says, will allow us to render funeral honors to our king. In exchange, I shall use my sword at your service. Do people talk like this, Matt? Like, this is like... Yeah, you know what it sounded like? It, it sounded like when you watch, like, those old, like, you know, Miles O'Keefe, like, Ator movies, like those old, like, sword and sandal films, you know, that were made in Italy a lot back then in the 80s, too, right? It's kind of the same thing, and you were, like, it, it, you were wondering if someone was going to come in with, like, a, a hubcap shield or something like that, you know, as you were, you were watching it. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, I, I guess if you want to give uh, Dolph's character a little bit of merit, um, we do get to see him swing an axe, which is cool to see. I mean... We've right, seen yeah. Dolph weld a sword a couple times. We've seen him weld machine guns, etc. So, but him getting to swing an axe, that's a first. And it's pretty cool to see. Unfortunately, they don't really have, a, at least to my knowledge, it didn't appear that they had a, a fight choreographer on set because these battle scenes are just so clunkily filmed and <laughs> put together. It almost feels like the, like the, the, the Dolph and everybody who's on screen... If you watch carefully, I had to rewind a couple times because I was laughing. It's like they almost start picking up battle as soon as the camera comes their way. Did you notice this? Yes, yes. And, and I wonder, too, because um, I know I remember seeing um, Cynthia Rothrock did a um, behind the scenes of I think it was a Tiger Claws movie. And she realized that she was on, a, on a, in the movie that they didn't have a fight choreographer. They had to kind of make up their own stuff, which was a shock to her because she'd been doing Hong Kong stuff. I wonder if it's kind of the same thing where Dolph was like, you know, okay, I'm, you know, I, I, I've done this kind of thing before. Okay, here's, here's how we do it. But, I mean, how much work would it take to get these, you know, especially a lot of these extras, to be able to, to do these things so it looks realistic? You're, you're probably right. It was probably one of those things where, like, you know, like, like and I mean, like you said, I, you could see it when you're watching the film, that people who are just kind of standing there doing nothing, Suddenly, it's like you know. Oh, it's my turn. Okay, let's 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 fight here. Let's uh, let's swing each, our swords at each other. Well, and there is there is a pretty jarring moment in the film where I'm 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 looking at it and I'm thinking, man, these costumes and these sets are all fairly impressive. I mean, you yeah. said it already. It was filmed in a combination of Tunisia and Bulgaria, but then again, it also has the feel of being one of those productions where all of the costumes were rented from a warehouse that specializes in biblical and religious productions because what's wild is I, I think many of the direct-to-video Westerns are the same way. You know, I've read that with a lot of those uh, Westerns that go direct-to-video, uh, especially the Trace Atkins, it seems like, <laughs> seems like Trace Atkins is always on one of these, uh, <laughs> these direct-to-video Westerns, but I've read that Westerns are all relatively cheap and easy to film because the ranches and the costumes and everything can just be rented from a warehouse, like right then and there in surplus, here you go. And so, like I said, there, there's this kind of moment where it's like, wow, they, the costume designer really went to work, but then you kind of have to sit back and you think, 
No, I bet you there's, you know, a, I don't want to call it a biblical movie warehouse, whatever it may be, but, you know, no way were, were all these uh, costumes stitched together. This this came from some kind of uh, some kind of Costco of movie props, we'll say, and they were recycled for another biblical production the next week, right? Yeah, and I think most of these like biblical period pieces are shot in Tunisia, so it would make absolute sense, wouldn't it, that they would have like that kind of like you know sort of turnkey approach to the whole thing? Like we've got sets here, we've got the costumes, we've got extras just come in here and make your movie with your stars and we've got everything else here. I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case that they, they, they did. Tunisia's got a whole system down there, the whatever, you know, whatever part of it it is that the movies are shot. And it's probably a whole industry for them where they, they, you know, they probably, you know, so I, I, I think most of these, these biblical period pieces are shot there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, um, but if you look at the, uh, the conflict of the film, I mean, Titus Valerius Taurus. So, by the way, uh, Matt, anytime we say it, we say the character Titus, we, we, we have to say the full name Titus Valerius Taurus because okay. that's Valeria. how it's, it's in the yes. film. Um, so, but he's tasked by Max von Sydow's character, who's playing Tiberius, uh, to investigate the death and mysterious disappearance of the body of uh, Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, so Brixus accomp- accompanies him on this mission. They meet the notorious Pontius Pilate, who oversaw yep. the trials of Jesus and sentenced him to death. Now, here's where things are really interesting for me, Matt. I don't know if you picked up on this or not. But um, Pilate is played, and I'm going to say his name wrong, so please forgive me, but he's played by an actor named uh, Christo Shapov, who's worked in a few new image productions already, uh, one of which uh, with Dolph, um, Command Performance, he played the... Uh, the Russian yep. prime minister in command performance a few years, a few years later, but here's what's wild. I had no idea about this. Again, I have never seen passion of the Christ, but apparently he also played Pontius Pilate in passion of the Christ uh, as well. A couple years prior. Did you know this? I had no idea. I've never seen passion. So I had no idea. Um, that's crazy. I haven't seen it either, but I saw that on IMDb and I was thinking, man, wow. like he's fell into a niche for himself, huh? <laughs> Yeah, because I was thinking for that role, I mean, I, obviously David Bowie, when he did it in Last Temptation of Christ, was the coolest person to do it. But his version, I thought, was really cool. It was it, it added an element of style to the movie that, you know, I mean, you know, Dolph is always always giving an L, you know, even even though his character didn't have that. Um, but that did bring something, uh, an element of cool to the movie that uh, that, that I thought it, it needed. It, it definitely helped. Yeah, I mean, and the film is essentially, there are moments in the film where, you know, I'm thinking, okay, this this could be decent, where the film essentially becomes, you know, at some parts, kind of like a biblical investigation story, right? Where there's a little bit of mystery, right. there's intrigue, there's a conspiracy with, you know, Titus Valerius Taurus, he's heading up the investigation. I mean, he's essentially the lead <laughs> detective on this case where Brixus is providing the muscle. I mean, I thought, you know, if they really wanted to lean into the whole investigation of this, I thought that's kind of a cool angle there, especially for a biblical movie. I mean, it kind of reminded me of, I don't know if you knew this or not, but um, the Russell Crowe, there's another Russell Crowe reference, um, but the Russell Crowe Robin Hood movie that came out in 2008. Uh, Rumor has it when that film was uh, in pre-production, it was going to be called Nottingham, and it was going to be kind of like a uh, a CSI investigation story 
that took place, you know, around the time of Robin Hood, but they decided to scrap that and just go with a uh, a standard Robin Hood retelling. I think kind of like a biblical mystery. I don't know that that could work and that could be cool. Sadly, it just doesn't lean into that as much as it as much as it should. Right, right. And if, yeah, it's it's weird because yeah, it's like the movie goes in these little places and it's like it goes to touch something and you think right because you, you talk about like they're, they're they're examining a body that's supposed to be Jesus's and um, uh, Titus Valerius Taurus he uh, he he spots that the that the hands where they're supposed to have been you know where the nails are supposed to have gone through that there's no sign of any kind of trauma. It's just almost like somebody's hammered nails into this, into this, uh, this corpse. And you, you, you're like, wow, what is this? Like some kind of ancient autopsy? Like how would people be, you know, it, it, you know, like, like he's really examining the body there or something like that. And, and it's almost like the movie feels like the, the, the whole unraveling of that would just be too much. And so they're like, okay, let's just kind of move this thing along and just have it be that, that, you know, I guess it's faith or something like that, that they, brings them around but i agree with you there that could have been something that it 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 could have changed the way the movie was a little bit and made made us forget some of the parts of it that we're looking at like oh we've seen this in however many biblical movies before or whatever and how cool would it have been uh, again if we have you know the character of dolph i mean they could have they could have really made the character of brixis be the vessel of sorts for a lot of this for a lot of the uh events to transpire through and what i mean by that is okay as as titus valerius taurus i'm gonna love saying that name (laughs) as he is investigating this um this this mysterious resurrection here he is accompanied by a uh by this uh warrior of death who is just you know who is just hate incarnate if you will and so as he's investigating and finding out about the teachings of jesus suddenly his right-hand man, we see this person getting transformed. I mean, I mean, I think that could have been kind of cool if they would have done something like that, but no, they just decide to just kind of go paint by numbers and pretty much retell the Bible for us. Yeah, and, and, and it's almost like with Dove's character, they kind of made it seem like he was already converted. He just didn't, you know, it was like he, he, he seemed like he got it first or whatever. Like he, it, it was almost like he didn't need to be converted. And I agree with you. I mean, you think of like that, there's that, that tavern uh, fight scene where it's really just, you know, Titus Valerius Torres fighting the, 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 the bad guys when it would have been great to see Dolph. You know, you could do a lot of great things with Dolph, like maybe one of those things where he gets the pile on and then he just kind of, you know, stands up and like knocks everybody off of him. Um, you know, kind of like more of a, yeah. a fun type fight scene. But also, you know, you know, this whole thing where it's like, you know, this idea too, I mean, he's, he's coming from, you know, some, you know, Germanic kingdom and I can't, you know, it's like the people in, in Jerusalem just took, or, or, you know, Nazareth just took for granted that, 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 you know, there's, there's this big guy like this. What would have been awesome is if they kind of were like, who is this? Or, you know, he stands out like a sore thumb, like where, you know, like, like they're going to be suspicious of Titus Valerius Torres because he's standing around with this this, you know, six foot five, you know, blonde guy with a beard and an axe. And um, they, there's so much more they could have done with that. I totally agree with you there. Well, we get some uh, twists thrown in the investigation. I mean, uh, we find out, um, yeah, you already mentioned the body that is supposedly Jesus uh, that, that uh, is kind of thrown about in the investigation. Later on, uh, Pontius Pilate comes clean. And correct me if I'm wrong with this here, because it kind of, uh, 
it kind of gets a little muddled here, but he says that uh, Jesus's death was faked. They, they, what they gave him a drug that made it appear that he was dead, but he really wasn't. And this was all to kind of keep his disciples and followers at bay. Right. Right. I think so. Yeah. And exactly. And then he has the question of his Valerius Taurus questions, the Roman soldier that was supposed to have pronounced him dead. Um, and, the funny thing is that we, it's almost like this kind of plot convenience theater thing where the, the soldier first tells Titus Valerius Taurus, well, I knew he was dead because I'm a soldier. I recognize what death is. And so then he tells him, okay, well, now, you know, how did you know he was dead? Oh, I stabbed him. It's like, okay, well, now you, you really must be dead because you stabbed him. It's like, why didn't, you know, you buried the lead there. Why didn't you say that before? Like, I'm a soldier. I stabbed him. That's how I know he was dead, you know, before that, you know. Um, so it was weird kind of those, those, those inconsistencies in the, in the plot as well. Well, that's, that's not even the wildest part of this film, Matt. I, I don't, oh boy, I don't even know <laughs> how to even go here. So <laughs> Titus Valerius Taurus uh, falls in love with a young gal named Tabitha, uh, who's played by uh, Monica Cruz, sister of uh, Penelope Cruz, who looks just like her sister. It's wild. But she is engaged in a uh, in a, in an arranged marriage that is set up by her father. Um, this is the casting of F. Murray Abraham. So F. Murray Abraham plays the father, whose name is Nathan, which is another bizarre casting choice here. But this is where things just got crazy for me. So she stands up to her dad. She stands up to her dad, Nathan, saying that she is not going to marry the man lined up for her. She is instead going to uh, run off with um, Titus Valerius Taurus. And this sets F. Murray Abraham's character off in a rage where he starts brutally beating her with his sheep herding staff. And this practically kills her. Like, what is this here? Like, suddenly, what movie did this become? Right. Because I guess it was supposed to be this idea that if she's going against her father, like he has the right to do that, which, you know, in in, in that time, I guess he would have. But you're right. It was it was. I, you wonder what F. Murray Abraham's thinking as he's in it. I mean, he's done his share of, of movies that, that are not the greatest. I mean, I, I saw Finding Forrester with him, which was like, you know, his, his character was just like trying to do the best he could with this script that was making him into this evil teacher, which I've never heard of an evil teacher before, but he was an evil teacher. Um, or at least not in that context. But um, yeah, it was just, it was, you know, he, he's done some bad movies before. But this one was just like, he must have just done like, a, you know, I just got to go with it, I guess. I just got to keep being this 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 character and do what, what's in there. Because then he suddenly like he, he he recovers from beating her, and he's like now he's trying to get her to wake up, and and it's just yeah, it's it it yeah. I don't know how he made sense of it, but he you know he he's a professional actor. He he did he did what he was supposed to do with the part. Maybe he always wanted to go to Tunisia and Bulgaria, and he figured, hey, a free trip. I mean, I don't know. But, yeah, I mean, it's wild that you know, you have F. Murray Abraham in here, and he's only in the film for only a few scenes, if that even. And then he just gets this wild, disturbing scene. And, you know, I mean, the, this event, it practically kills uh, the, the character of Tabitha, which causes Titus Valerius to lose faith. And so he starts questioning everything around him and he's you know he, he's giving up all hope and everything and then we get to another really really odd scene i don't know i don't know how you feel what are your thoughts on the campfire scene between titus and brixis so it, it's supposed to be a nice scene where uh 
Titus Valerius Taurus and Brixus, they're supposed to understand one another and, you know, because they both come from different backgrounds, but we see them now as to where they're, they're equals, but it's, it's really kind of odd here. I'll, I'll go to you first because I had some thoughts on it. What did you think? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's also, it's, it's really kind of mean spirited too, when we find out what's going to happen next in that scene, but it was, it was a strange, I, it, I don't know. Yeah, it was, it was kind of filled, like the conversation was kind of filled with non sequiturs where it's like, you know, I'm going to give you your freedom. And, and, and Bell's like, oh, you know, I was already free and, 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 and stuff like that. Cause I guess he, he was, he was happy to be in service of, of this guy. Um, but it, yeah, it was, it was, it was supposed to be that kind of campfire bonding scene that I guess is supposed to establish the fact that Dolph is there to, to support, uh, Titus Valerius Taurus. But you're right. It, it, I don't know. It just it felt like it was one of those things where you're like, somebody missed a line, you know, between some of the things that they were saying to each other. This, it, it, it felt off. Your people are similar to mine. They teach us not to fear our own death. It's the destiny of every warrior. But there's no remedy against the death of those you love. Have you ever lost someone you loved, Brixus? I had a wife and son. The plague came to our forests. That was bad luck or not fight. I took them. And ran away. To the shores of Hyperborea. But I did not run fast enough. So you have nothing to go back to. Just like me. I have a friend. Master. I have no other friend as good as you, Brixus. Perhaps this isn't the right moment to tell you, but I've already deposited in the Prefect's archives a deed of your release from service. You are a free man, my friend. Thank you, Titus, Valerius, Taurus. But I've always been a free man. That's true, Brixis. So, well, here's what bothered me about that scene. So, I mean, yeah, it, it, it is a, it is a, the intentions of the scene, I guess we could say are nice because it's a good scene with Dolph. He arguably gets the most dialogue in, in this small moment here, but I did have to laugh though at one of the lines. So we have Titus Valerius Taurus, who is, you know, he's just so morose and he's upset, you know, the, 
the love of his life is, is <laughs> on the verge of death. And he looks at Brixus. Here's what bugged me. He looks at Brixus and he says, Brixus, have you ever lost someone you love? And I so wanted Brixus to answer, yeah, you killed my king, remember? Right in front of me. (laughs) That's right. That's right, because he he talks about his wife and and, and, and son. Yeah, and it's like, like, um, this guy that you're serving, like, stabbed so maliciously your king, you know, right in front of you. Do you you, you forget about this? Like, yeah, yeah, it's that's a good point. It's like, it, 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 it's amazing how some of these movies, you know, I mean, I, I would say what is like the Fast and Furious thing where it's like in one movie, Jason Statham is trying to kill the, the Rock and he's trying to kill Vin Diesel. And then the next movie, he's helping them to like rescue Vin Diesel's baby and stuff like that. And it's like, hey, everybody's back to normal. Everybody's good. And it's like, no, Jason Statham blew up your house. Like he tried, he's trying to kill you and now you're, yeah. you're good with it. And it's kind of the same thing with this movie. make a movie all about him. Right, exactly. It's like, you know, oh, you know, you, you killed my, my, you know, I mean, you, we're stuff that's this Roman invading army. You know, these people are just trying to live where they are in, in, in you know, wherever it was in, in Western Europe. And they, they get invaded by the Romans. The Romans, like you said, they, they kill the king uh, there. And Dolph is, in order to just to be able to do the funeral rites for... Uh, his king, he has to agree to be the servant of this guy, and suddenly they're they're buds. They, they've grown to to love each other. Maybe because he's Swedish, they they want to go some Stockholm syndrome kind of stuff or whatever. But for a Dolph movie, you're right. It's really weird to think of Dolph as being subservient to anybody because it just it's 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 not right. what you what we we watch Dolph for. It's not what we go into it. He he's not you know he's this is Dolph Lundgren. This is you know uh, you know. Uh, Olympic caliber karate expert, uh, you know, uh, going to MIT on a Fulbright scholarship. He's like the absolute, like the, the, the ultimate mensch, right? That we, you know, when he walks into a room, everybody else is like, oh, there's Dolph, you know? <laughs> and and in this movie, he's, you know, I think that, that campfire scene was kind of like the ultimate, like, man, what is Dolph doing in this? Because we, we see how good he is and he's still being subservient to this other guy who we're just like, well, you know, what, what is this guy doing? You know, I mean, I'm sure probably for Italian audiences, he probably is a big deal for them, but we, we don't know who he is. Well, can I just say real quick, I mean, did you see the new Bad Boys movie, Bad Boys for Life? No, I haven't yet. I haven't had a chance to catch that one. Okay, well, I, shoot, then I, I don't want to do a spoiler, but there there is a twist in, in, in Bad Boys <laughs> for Life where... Where, okay, well, okay, so a major... Oh, spoilers to anyone who is listening, um, but... In Bad Boys for Life, the great Joe Pantoliano comes back once again as their commander. And Joe Pantoliano is an amazing actor, but he is so funny in those Bad Boys movies. I mean, he is, I mean, he holds his own so well with Martin Lawrence and Will Smith. And, uh, okay, Matt, if you're okay with it, I'm going to spoil it for you. Go ahead, spoil um, it. But Joe, Joe Pantoliano was killed mm-hmm. in, in, the third, in the third installment. And so, you know, you had two movies. Uh, two and a half, actually, if you want to count, you know, at the point he's killed in uh, in Bad Boys for Life. But you had two movies establishing the character of Joe Pantoliano and how he is, you know, how you know he's this fun commander, but he also, you know, really loves uh, the, the cops under his command and everything like that. And then he's killed. And I mean, it's you have some real emotional gravity and depth there in that scene. And then at the end of the film, OK, right as the credits are rolling, there's a stinger scene where we see Will Smith 
teaming up with the killer, uh, with Joe Pantoliano's killer, to take down a greater threat. And I'm thinking to myself, and that for me took me out. I'm thinking, no, you haven't earned that. I'm sorry. We had Joe Pantoliano, who was in two movies here, okay? And this new character who's introduced in the third one, who killed, you know, in cold blood, okay, this other guy. And suddenly you're going to be teaming up with him and you're going to make him a good guy for Bad Boys 4. I don't buy it. I'm sorry. You, you, you have not earned that kind of yeah. that kind of goodwill for this. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. No, it, it, you're exactly right. It's, I, I remember, uh, I think it was Alfred Hitchcock was talking about, you know, when, um, you know, when you're making a movie, like you, you, you have a situation where you have two characters standing, uh, sitting on either side of a desk and you've got a bomb underneath the desk. And you, you, you need to get the audience to, to think that the bomb is going to go off. You've got to get them to that point where you think the bomb's going to go off. But the audience will not appreciate it if you blow up those two characters. <laughs> you've created these two characters. You've, you've gotten them to this point where you, you're, you're worried about if the bomb's going to go off or not. But because we care about the characters now, if you blow them up, it's going to be seen as mean-spirited. And I think that's where a lot of these movies end up going, where it's like they, 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 they make the bomb blow up. You know, they blow it up. And don't realize that we, as the audience, you know, we're, we're invested in it. It's kind of like I'm, I watched Sleepless in Seattle for the first time uh, with my wife over the, the, the last weekend. And it's like, maybe I should say spoiler for people who haven't seen this before, but it'd be like if, if the movie <laughs> ended with one getting on one elevator and the other coming off and them never catching each other, never meeting each other and never, you know, it's like, yes, we know how that's how the movie's supposed to go, but it's like you've set all of that up. You've got to give us the payoff at some point. And I think. Some of these movies, and I think, you know, I don't know if we're going to get into it here with, with what happens with Dolph after the campfire scene, but it's like when you build up a character, you, you put all this kind of work into a character and then you kill them off. It's, it's something that you really have to understand that your audience, I, I don't know. It, it, yeah, I think, I think a lot of movies today, they don't respect their audience enough the way that Hitchcock said, I'm not going to blow up that, that you know, I'm not going to make that bomb go off for those two people. I think more filmmakers need to look at that and say, what what do my what does my audience want to see from these characters? Where do they they want to see these characters go? Yeah, that that's an that's that's an excellent point. That's an excellent segue as well because I mean, yeah, unfortunately, Brixus is not able to stay for the duration of the movie. He is killed by some <laughs> arrows while trying to protect his master, uh, Titus Valerius Taurus. They did they the two characters do share a tearful goodbye, where they express their appreciation for one another's friendship. But that's the end for uh, that, that, that's sadly the end for Brixus. He dies. It, it's sad because he ends up dying to protect the ma- the the. He, how do I want to say this? He dies trying to protect the guy who he really shouldn't have been having to serve in the first place. You know what I mean? Like Brixus, my friend. Tell your emperor it's not worth the effort. Uh, 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 looking for the answer. Uh, 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 we shall all find out. Brixus. Uh, 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 sooner or later. Uh, My friend. Exactly. I mean, that's the thing is that, you know, we, 
the movie does all this work to build this character up, and then it's like, you're right, like, he should have just been hanging out in Western Europe with the rest of his crew, you know, fishing, hunting, telling stories while they're drinking, all that kind of stuff, and instead the Romans come in there and just completely up, up in their life, but we're supposed to be okay with that, because it's Titus Valerius Taurus who does it, you know, like, somehow he's supposed to be the good guy with that, and it's like, no, you got this guy killed, you know, it's like, you, you, he died for you when he, you know, he shouldn't have had anything to do with you, you know, if you had anything to do, invade his land, you know, you know, the Italian, the Italian peninsula would have been fine for, for, for Rome, they, they didn't need to go all the, all those other places. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, and so if you look at the the end of the film, um, there's actually it seems like there's almost two <laughs> endings to the film, which is really kind of weird. Yeah. One of them almost feels tacked on for a sequel that uh, no one wanted, apparently. Um, but uh, <laughs> Titus is in his Titus Valerius Taurus, excuse me. His in- inquiry and investigation concludes that uh, Jesus's body was never found, so he what he can't be conclusive as to what exactly happened to the body. However, he does deduce that Jesus had the power to inspire people through his words and it's the language of love is all that is needed it you know it has the ability to change the hearts of men and inspires them with peace rather than war I mean it's it's at this point in the film Matt where I mean all (laughs) biblical I mean let's face it all biblical religious movies are propaganda in some kind of way but it's here at this point in the film where it is very clear Okay, this is what the film is trying to do. This is what the film is trying to say. I mean, it is literally um, spelling everything out for us as we find out that Titus Valerius Taurus, he also ditches the Roman Empire, joins Tabitha, and starts a new life among the followers of Jesus because that's the place to be, right? That that's, Those are the good people. That's what we need to do, right? Yeah, and I think I would have believed it more if it wasn't that he was doing it to Mary a beautiful woman, right? Like it's yeah, like he's, you know, he's right? just trying to get I mean, with her. He's not. right. It's like what was it? Was it Seinfeld, right? Where um, where George was going to convert to Latvian Orthodox to get with a woman? Um, it's you know, it's like I, I think we would have believed it more if there wasn't Monica Cruz there, right? To you know, I mean, it, it you know the fact that you know because she survives whatever happens there, and they go on to be a married couple, and she's pregnant with their with their child. It, it almost is like, it almost kind of d- diminishes a little bit. Like, you know, it would have been interesting if, if she had died and Brixos dies and, and he still has the faith to be, uh, to be converted. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, I, I kind of looked at that. I was like, did he really get converted? You know, did he convert because he's, he's into the, the faith or did he convert because, you know, yeah, he met this beautiful woman that he's fallen in love with. You know, it is kind of humorous. I don't know if you kind of laughed at it as well, but it is kind of funny seeing all of these actors playing historical figures and just having these names thrown about. Like, for example, Caligula. Like, suddenly (laughs) Caligula comes in in the final part when Tiberius is given his final decisions after reading uh, Titus Valerius's uh, letter and all these conclusions. This obviously pisses off Caligula, and it sets up this (laughs) sequel that um no one i'm assuming that they were planning on making but i don't think anyone wanted but it it sets up this whole other subplot where i'm thinking like what are we doing here like couldn't this have been tacked off i mean i honestly think the film just should have ended where okay titus valerius taurus joins the the camp of jesus followers and is off to make a new you know off to you know reset his life and try something new but man you get this scene with tiberius and caligula and 
everything. And it's kind of like, look, if I want to know about Caligula, I'll just see the Roman Polanski one, right? When that Roman Polanski directed right. that. I yeah. think so. Yeah, it was, I remember. I remember it was produced by the guy who did uh, Hustler, right? Or um, not Hustler? No, no, no. That's that's Larry Flint. Um, the guy who yeah. did Penthouse. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Malcolm McDowell. Yeah, the version with Malcolm McDowell. Yeah. Excuse me, yeah. that wasn't Roman Polanski. Yeah. No, but I don't. Yeah, I know it's one you. Yeah. I mean, there was revisionist history too because Tiberius they, was not a really nice guy. Like they make him out to be this like really nice guy who's like really you know. Uh, uh, kind of uh, thoughtful and, you know, wants what's best. And suddenly he would have converted the whole Roman Empire to Christianity if it hadn't been for Caligula doing all this stuff. None of that was, I mean, Tiberius was not a nice guy either. It, I mean, I don't, he, was, he wasn't Caligula bad, but he, he also wasn't, you know, Max von Sydow playing him in this movie good that, that he was depicted as. And yeah, I, I don't know why they even needed that. Like, why do we need to think that Tiberius would have converted the whole uh, Roman Empire? I mean, it wasn't until, what was it? Um, uh, I, I can't think of the name. It starts with a C. There was a, an emperor, I think it was like in 480 or something like that, who finally, uh, it was a long time after that that they finally converted to, um, to Christianity. But like that was just kind of out of nowhere. It's just like, oh, by the way, Tiberius would have converted the whole empire to Christianity in 35 AD. Like, no, I mean, and I, I mean, you know, just read I Claudius. You know, I think I, I, want, I thought Robert Graves went, in, went into a little bit about Tiberius in that one because I think. Um, Claudius is, was, was alive for, for, for Tiberius' reign as well. Um, yeah, not a nice guy at all. Not, not the kind of nice guy who's just going to lay back in Capri and be like, oh, Titus, you know, uh, Valerius, you know, Doris, yes, you're, you know, come, I want you to do this job for me and all this stuff. It's like, no, no, he, yeah, I don't, I don't know what made them decide that. I don't know what, what, what gave them this idea that they, they wanted to even go that route and make him into, maybe, I don't know. I, yeah, it didn't make any sense to me at all. Yeah, I, I don't know if they felt that people, uh, you know, um, devout followers of, uh, of the Bible and everything would have, you know, been upset if that was not included. I, I don't know. But and, and look, I, I got to correct myself. But yeah, Caligula, you know, you're exactly right. I, I always <laughs> this is weird. Roman Polanski directed Macbeth. I don't know why I got those two. Uh, oh, yes. So please forgive me. That's a heart. That that Macbeth is like, I think it was like right after Sharon Tate was, was murdered. That is a gruesome dark Macbeth. Uh, that's, yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, no, but the, the Caligula, the infamous Caligula with Malcolm McDowell was directed by uh, Tinto Brass, as well as uh, Bob Guccione, who, uh, yeah, was one of the, uh, was the, the founder of Penthouse. <laughs> so, there you go. But, you know, like, like I was saying, I think if, if I had to give this film one, one small merit, or one thing that I think uh, is good about this film, is you know, the way in which the film literally spells out moments of the Bible and reenacts those events. And I mean, it's very, very scripted. I, I would think that, okay, if someone comes into this and has never, you know, had, knows absolutely nothing about the Bible, knows nothing about, you know, any of these, uh, I don't want to say stories, but anything about uh, any of these biblical figures or anything like that, okay? And they come into this film and they actually learn something and decide to start going to church or whatever it may be, even if it's just one person, then I feel the film did its job, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that's what the goal is. And, yeah, I mean, obviously these ones are, you know, an Italian one's a little bit unique, so I think it is like more of a, of a, of a Catholic vibe to it, um, which is, you know, a little bit different, I think, than, than some of the more 
you know, uh, evangelical ones we have here in the United States for, for uh, more Protestant ones. But yeah, I think that's kind of the, the goal. And I, I think, yeah, anybody who watches this and it had, at least feels that kind of inspiration, I think, you know, yeah, it, it does go. And I, I think I, I like the sets that they had for this. And I, I think um, that, the, you know, especially in Tunisia, some of the areas where they shot look really nice. Um, so there was that bonus as well. Um, and also some, I think, I don't know if they shot in Capri. I think they, they, they were also in the coast um, in Tunisia. That area looked really nice, that Mediterranean coastline. Well, so we are at the, uh, the moment of truth, Matt. Okay, so here we are at the end. You know, I like to do two recommends, one as a Dolph Lundgren film and one as a film in general. So in your opinion, Matt, uh, considering your experience with uh, direct-to-video films, uh, does the final inquiry get a recommend from you on either of those fronts? I think the final inquiry really is one of those ones where if you're a Dolph fan and you've seen so many other Dolph movies, you, you have to see it. I mean, it is free on like Tubi. I think Tubi has it. Um, or maybe not, maybe not Tubi, but you said, like you mentioned, Hoopla has it. Um, Filmrise has it for free. So a lot of places you can get it for free. I think it's a Dolph completist film. That's probably the best way I would describe it. Is that I don't think you shouldn't you should stay away from it if you're a Dolph fan. You should you should embrace that it's a Dolph movie and 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 watch it as part of his his filmography. And beyond that, I don't know if I could recommend it beyond that. You know, for someone who's just kind of looking for a a movie on a Saturday night or something like that. Yeah, well said. Yeah, you know, with regard to my recommend, you know, like I said earlier, this is just not my type of movie. It's one that I never bothered getting around to watching prior to this, and for good reason. As a Dolph Lundgren film, I would say, in my opinion, it can't get a recommend because he's really not much—he's not in it that much at all, and his appearance is just more odd than anything else. I mean, I like what you said about how if you're a completist, you need to check it out, but sadly, it's—it's going to be something that is just not going to—it's—it's uh, guaranteed, I think, to disappoint even the most loyal of uh of of Dolph fans um it's uh he participates in a few battle sequences but they're all filmed so clunkily that they can't be enjoyed even on an action level um it's just a very bizarre bit of casting that i think uh is just gonna disappoint anybody um with regard to the other names that were cast max von Cito, he makes sense i think in in the film but it's apparent that he's tired in this film and is just collecting a paycheck same thing with F. Murray Abraham. He gets the really weird scene where he uh, 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 beats his daughter nearly to death. So you have to wonder why he even signed on for this when that is his big money scene. Um, so I, right. I, I guess if you're not too familiar with the Bible and you want some of these stories and fables literally spelled out for you, then I think Final Inquiry does the trick in getting those acclimated to the Bible. But in its nearly two-hour running time, the film is just simply boring. It feels at times like a made-for-TV movie uh, financed by a church and intended to be played at a mass or something. Uh, thankfully, this was on Hoopla, so I did not have to endure spending money on this in any fashion. But it's funny, I was talking about this with a buddy the other day, and he said, oh my God, after watching that, I felt like maybe I needed to be nailed on a cross. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, probably the best way to think of it is like for those people that like, Somebody who like goes to McDonald's and wants to eat everything off the menu at some point. This is like, I don't know if you, this would be like the filet of fish or, or what, you know, this is like that, this is that, that part of the menu that you're going to eat just to get through it. If you're someone who's trying to do that kind of completest thing, it's, that's probably the best way to think of it. It's, it's, you know, 
Um, and, and maybe it's probably better if somebody does it the way you did it, where you, you wait until you've seen most of Dolph's other films first before you dive into this one. To where you absolutely have to, you know? <laughs> like, right, right. <laughs> exactly. Um, well, Matt, I've had a ton of fun with you. I, I'm glad that, um, like I said, I, I feel, I feel kind of bad that it, it took us this long to, um, uh, to finally get together, but, um, I had a ton of fun with you on Don't Kill It. Um, and uh, obviously talking about this one, and we kind of—I kind of floated it past you the other day, but uh, I'm planning on doing something, uh, something pretty special for uh, the Expendables, and uh, you have agreed to uh, participate in that one. So we'll look forward to having you back when uh, when I get to that point. Yeah, I can't wait. I think that's going to be great. I—that's I, one of my favorite Dolph performances. Is is the Expendables? I—I I, I I shouldn't give away the, the, the upcoming. I guess I say too much about it, but uh, I'm excited to do that. So, well, and uh, real quick, uh, your blog and podcast, we can uh, find it on iTunes and Stitcher. Uh, is there anything else that you're working on or anything else that you want to give a shout out to or mention? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, the, the, the blog is um, btvconnoisseur.blogspot.com. Um, also, my, my, my novel, Chad and Accounting, is out. You can um, get that on Amazon, Kindle, and um, uh, Kindle uh, Unlimited. And uh, I just started a threadless for the direct-to-video connoisseur. So, that's btvconnoisseur.threadless.com if you want to buy some DTV connoisseur shirts or things like that. But, uh, but yeah, the pod, the, the, the blog is where you get everything. So if you just go DTV, uh, dot blogs, everything's there. Awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, yeah, I recommend everybody check it out. Uh, you write really well. And, uh, I, I, it, like I said earlier, it's, uh, it's awesome to see someone else. I'm also paying attention to uh, many of these films that I feel just do not get the, uh, the cred and the attention that they, rightfully deserve yeah i, I can't agree more and I, same thing for you I, I i really love what you're doing with the podcast and uh in particular I, I i mean i love this kind of thing where you know we talk about uh one of those dolphins but I, I also love those those conversations with people behind the scenes because it really does it's yeoman's work as you say that the, the people are doing to make these movies happen and uh we we explore them for Dolph. we love them for Dolph, but there's so many other people that are involved and it's great to hear their stories and kind of give us a fuller picture of what what we're watching yeah most definitely. Most definitely. Uh, well, Matt, thank you very, very much. Um, till next time, uh, I will be looking forward to uh, the next time we get to chat. But to everyone out there who is listening, please feel free to rate and review the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever else you go to subscribe. We always appreciate the reviews. And we'll see you all next time on I Must Break This Podcast.